I'm Ken Canera, and this is Beyond Consulting. Today, we welcome Nishant Mathur to the studio. Nishant is the VP of Product at Oyo. He's also a former BCG consultant. Nishant, thanks so much for joining. Thank you so much for having me, Ken. It's a pleasure. You bet. So Nishant's joining us from Dallas today. So the weather in Dallas is a little balmy uh, from what uh, Nishant was telling me uh, at the start of the show. But besides the weather, maybe you could just give us a little bit of uh, color on your background and your story. Yeah, just one thing on the weather, I would say, I don't think I've ever used this much sunscreen in my life ever. So, you know, (laughs) this is the craziest heat I've seen. But uh, yeah, just a bit about myself, Ken. Uh, So I studied engineering at the Indian Institute of Technology. As you may know, it's one of the most selective colleges for engineering in India. I pursued that with my MBA at Indian Institute of Management, which is an even more selective school. I really enjoyed my MBA, got a scholarship, and then straight away joined BCG. I spent eight years at BCG where I led over 20 projects across seven countries. I think it was one of the best work experiences I've ever had. I worked in strategy, M&A, org design, operations, cost reduction, go-to-market, you name it. I had an amazing time, worked with some of the smartest people I know. Then while I was at BCG, I got a chance to be a strategy ambassador to, to a, its internal think tank called Strategy Institute. That's when I started studying a lot about platforms, uh, about technology companies, how companies like Apple, Amazon are basically disrupting the world by working in, in sort of an ecosystem of companies. This curiosity led me to research a bit more about tech companies in general than platforms. And, and then an opportunity arrived with Retail Me Not which was the company I joined after my consulting career. So Retail Me Not is a leading savings platform which connects millions of customers to you know, over 70,000 brands. And I led strategy, FP&A, business operations. It was my first experience with tech. I learned so much. It helped me understand a lot about products, product management, you know, working with engineers, and just how two-sided platforms work. After that, I wanted to work in, a more, in more like a growth stage company, and I got an opportunity with Oyo. So many of you may not know Oyo. Oyo is one of the world's largest hospitality tech platforms. It's, you know, the world's third most downloaded travel app, and it serves over 157,000 storefronts. And essentially, it provides them with technology and software to help increase their revenues and ease their operations. And as a result, provides affordable and, you know, quality accommodation to customers. So I've Like OU behaves like a startup. I've done tons of things. I started as a chief of staff and spent around two years working on some of the most critical projects for the company. And then most recently, I've uh, become part of the product organization where I'm a VP of product management. I lead two teams, one that deals with product operations, which is the entire product machinery, uh, building the strategy, the roadmap, quarterly prioritization, analytics, and communications. And the other team I lead is I manage their B2B products where we... uh, you know, serve thousands of clients and help sell millions of room nights a year to our B2B clients. Excellent. Great, great background. And I want to talk about a lot of things today. I want to talk about product management at OYO. I want to talk about your role as a uh, chief of staff there as well. And I also want to hear about uh, the FP&A work that you did at Retail Me Not. But let's start off by just giving maybe the listeners a little bit, maybe an example of what OYO does in terms of kind of like a solution uh, that they could wrap their head around. Yeah, I mean, I think the problem that OYO is trying to solve for is that there are thousands and actually millions of small hotels and homes in the world, which are run by, you know, independent owners. They are not managed by brands and they have actually been untouched by technology. 
right? They are often not online. If they're online, they're only on one platform. They don't have the right content. They don't have the right pricing. And what OYO is trying to do is bring the best technology to these sort of underserved segment. And as a result, this creates a lot more inventory in the market, which opens up much more choices for consumers. And as a result, consumers can actually get accommodation at a lower price than they would have had. In terms of the technology which we are providing, we actually are full stack. So we start all the way from providing them uh, demand. And it could be demand through our own direct demand channel, like the OYO app, or it could be through okay. you know, OTAs as well. So we have partnerships with all the OTAs in the world. It doesn't matter to us where the money comes from, okay. as long as like you know they get bookings from anything. <laughs> we work on uh, content. So one of the most important things is a lot of these hotels don't have the right photographs, don't have the right descriptions. And we basically use a lot of our algorithms to one, get them better photographs and also just sequencing them better so that they get more clicks. We manage pricing. A lot of these people, you know, often resort to fixed pricing. And what we provide to them is dynamic pricing through which we actually are able to modify their prices every hour, every minute. And we look at the competition and are actually able to maximize their ref bar so that you're not only you know going after the higher prices, you maximize total revenue made per room. We work on reconciliation. So this is, you know, a bit messy, but each of them have relations with each OTA. Then they have bills coming from them. They have to settle them. We basically automate it all and we bring it all together. We also work on guest experience. So we have built chatbots through which, you know, they can actually resolve queries of their customers. Otherwise, you know, they have to be on the phone all the time. We also have, um, you know, hotel management system. So it's mm-hmm. a cloud-based HMS, which, you know, is landing with them on their iPad or their phone or whatever they want to use. And they can do their check-in, check-out from there. We also help them in their marketing endeavors. So we launch a lot of products through which they can invest their extra dollars by encouraging bookings from one channel or the other. So the overall objective is that individually, these things can be done by different players, right? We bring it all together. So it's easy for the hotel or the homeowner. And what they can just focus then on is the most important thing, which is serving the customer, right? Instead of all the administrative things that, you know, they often end up spending time with. Excellent. And I'm sure you see all sorts of kind of like, um, you know, gains for for these types of, you're essentially serving the long tail of the market and freeing up their time. And and I'm sure sure there's a tremendous value for them. Yeah. Yeah. I think our our sort of research has shown that typically a hotel pre-OYO, let's say it's making 1x, it ends up making anywhere between 1.5x to 2.3x after it joins OYO. Oh, wow. Okay. That's, that's significant. That's really big. Okay, great. No, that's, that's really helpful because that really paints a, a, a much clear, kind of clearer picture of kind of what, what OYO does. Let's start with product management. So you, you, uh, you're a VP of product management at OYO. Um, what does that mean and how did you get into it? So it's, it's very interesting. So I'd always been interested in product management ever since I moved to the tech industry. Because I can't be an engineer. So, you know, I guess the next best thing is to you know, <laughs> manage products. But but joke aside, I think product management is a broader term. I think the way it is used uh, mostly these days is about, you know, software products or technical products or hardware. But it can be anything, right? Mm-hmm. You know, a product manager is ultimately in charge of a solution that is solving a client's need. And the key thing is the product manager is that connective tissue between the ultimate user of the product and the ones who make it. And more specifically in, in a software or a tech world, the product manager is that 
person who is responsible for making sure that the engineers are building exactly the right uh, solutions that will solve a customer's need, right? So that, that's sort of the broad description. I think going specifically on a day-to-day -day basis, uh, you know, product management has become one of the most important, one of the more important jobs today is because a lot more companies are trying to solve their problems or trying to provide solutions in the form of products rather than people. Mm -hmm. Earlier, it was easy. You just, you know, send people to do a job and it will be done. But, you know, as you try to scale, it's always best to do it through technology-driven products. And so, therefore, this person who is in this, you know, uh, an in, uh, in an uh, incredible position of understanding what the customer wants, converting it into technical requirements, making sure the engineers bring the right solution, test it out, and ultimately be responsible for the success. Is this, you know, is a fantastic role that has like emerged. And and how I personally got into it is um, when Oyo was hit by the pandemic, we actually stopped and we tried to look at, you know, what do we need to do differently? Because, you know, in March 2020 or April 2020, we saw 80% of our bookings go away overnight. Wow. Right? Wow. So yeah. that could you know shut down a company overnight and it's it's yeah i mean it's a miracle of hard work and you know uh, thankfully some good decisions that we took that we survived 2020 and then we used 2021 to be you know our year of resurgence and we had always you know had tons of products but we renewed our focus on it we almost doubled our efforts on making sure that every solution that we give to our customers are done through products my manager became the CPO, and as his chief of staff, um, my first role was to first help set up the product organization. Basically, we carved it out mm -hmm. out of you know our existing teams. We you know we shuffled some of our central organizations and built that into product organization. The first step was just you know setting it up, you know building out all the processes, making sure they talk to the businesses, making sure we're solving the most important problems, and then I personally was given charge of one of the product lines to make sure it continues to deliver results. So we had a we had a very healthy B two B business. Obviously, like during the pandemic, it fell down a bit, and I was given the responsibility to make sure that we continue to grow that business, grow it more on the basis of products than people, and also make sure we continue to improve our take rate from that. So that led me to product management and I've really enjoyed it. I think it's amazing that, like I'll give you some stories, like for a recent product, we basically wanted to solve a problem where we want to invest the marketing dollars of patrons into the right channels to increase their demand, right? So if they want more demand from a certain channel, we can launch a product uh, where we can get incremental you know, dollars from them and thereby uh, drive demand. So the problem seems very straight of, you know, straightforward. A lot of people do it. But as a journey into product management, it uh, went all the way from first talking to the patrons and understanding what they want, right? Second, trying to figure out what is the right pricing, right? How much should you charge them? What should be the different layers? Where should you launch them? Running pilots. You launch a pilot in a small market, you get tons of learnings, right? Then designing, so you can even run offline pilots or online pilots. You know, a lot of people think that you always have to mm -hmm. make real product, but you can just like bootstrap it and just, you know, run it with a setup. And if, if your network has a big reach and you have enough total, you know, in the network, you can do that very easily. Then designing, basically looking at the design, making sure that, you know, you're catching the attention of a person so that they opt in for the program. So, you know, tons of things to do there. Going through UATs, you know, finding errors when it's coded, you know, 
checking all of those errors, making sure it launches. Then teaching the sales team, right? We have an inside sales and outside sales team, teaching them all about the product to make sure they pitch it correctly, right? Looking at their pitches, right? Sometimes you would want to see their entire script and say, okay, you should be saying this, you should not be saying, right? And making sure people, our hotel network, uh, starts adopting it. And that's just one side of the problem because that's a supply. Then there is the demand side, right? To make sure now that all your demand products are promoting this, so that if somebody is paying that extra commission, they actually do get that demand. Right. So working through all your products, figuring out how you can put the call to action, what kind of carousals you can put, what kind of, you know, CRM you can do. You also have a sales team on the demand side, so teaching them all about it, making sure it's important. So it's actually pretty interesting. Like it, it goes all the way from conceptualization to a lot of operations ultimately, to make sure that the product is successful. And and the best part of it is, you see a product which you know in the first week of launch had only 0.2 percent of the network adopted. And two and a half months line, it's twenty percent. Yeah, and you're tracking that daily, and then you know you're pretty happy that okay, you know, in two and a half months you got it to a pretty big state. And we wanted to go above and we wanted to be fifty percent. But yeah. you know, it's just it's just quite amazing, you know, chasing those targets on a daily basis, talking to engineers, talking to operations, talking to everybody, including the customer, multiple times, and making sure things are successful. Well, it's quite comprehensive, and I, I think that's one thing that I probably didn't appreciate until I got out of consulting and kind of saw started to learn what product managers do. And I think that's why consultants make good product managers, because it's not just leading a team of engineers, right? It's yeah. it's it's so much more. It's, it's yeah. those other 10 yeah. things that you talked about, yeah. right? I think the go-to market is, go-to market of any product is, is, I would say, as important as designing the product. Obviously, like a great product will lead, will not need too much, you know, go-to market interventions, but, you know, most products do need a lot of go-to-market interventions. Like it could be just the flyer that you send, the marketing, the CRM, right? Like you, it's, it's, and there's so much you can do. There's so much you can learn. Excellent. You, you've obviously enjoyed product management in general. So for someone maybe that's considering going into a product management career focus, any drawbacks or downsides or like, like minor annoyances that you didn't necessarily foresee before you kind of took, took, took on the role? Yeah, I think I would talk about you know some things that should be known and then some of the nuisances. I think let me start with the nuisances. I think a lot of products fail. Right? A lot okay. of products will fail. And and it's the you, nature of the business. It's the nature of the business, right? And so you quickly have to learn how to do experiments and learn fast, right? Basically like if you look at consultants, right? We don't ever expect our products projects to fail. Right. You know, no. That's like that's a career limiting move if the project fails, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. But you know, products are often on a smaller scale. They might take a lot of time and they will fail. And there are many, many examples, right? Like the Amazon's phone. Right. It's a perfect example of a great company, great product managers, yep. great market, and it failed. Yeah. I mean that was after even went to market, yeah. right? So a lot of products fail before they even go to market. Exactly. Right? So, and exactly, you're right. This is after going to market. So, you know, a lot of markets, will, you yeah. know, products will fail before the market. And I think you just have to be ready for that. And that's something that, you know, okay. takes time to learn. I think the second thing, I think it's very important to learn how to work with engineers. I think if you've never worked with them, it's important to, you know, understand how important a role they play and why it is very important to, you know, engage them, not just early on in the process, but all along the way. It's a common tendency sometimes to, you know, just treat them as, you know, one part of the value chain that, hey, I will make my designs and they will go implement it. But I think it's very important 
to make them be part of the whole process and make them co-own the outcomes. And someone who's never worked with engineers, you know, I think it's good to like spend time and understand what drives them, what kind of things they can do and, and basically learn a lot from them. Like they can probably figure out a better way to solve, you know, than what you're probably thinking mm-hmm. right? because they're doing it day and night. So, so I think that's something that I would, uh, I would definitely say is important. And I think the third thing, it depends from company to company, but there's still a lot of like offline things involved with products, right? You might just think that it's all like, hey, you switched on a button and everything works. But it's not, right? Sales is still, I mean, a lot of sales is digital, but there's still a lot of like manual sales, right? A lot of fulfillment is digital, but there's still a lot of, you know, manual fulfillment. And I think it's important to understand that that will be the case. And over time, you will get better and better. And, you know, at one day, you know, maybe productize it end to end. And I, I guess the last thing I would say, which I think is a uh, pretty important learning is, and this is something that takes time to get used to, I think, I, I, Marty Kagan is one of like the gurus of product management and he laid it out pretty well that when a product succeeds, it's just, it's due to everyone involved. It's the engineers, it's the product managers, it's operation, program manager, everyone. Mm-hmm. But when the product fails, it's the product manager's responsibility. <laughs> That's right. Those are the cards laid out to you. You have to you abide by those it. terms. Yeah. You have to own it. That's a really good point. And I guess on the, I guess as a follow up on the second point around kind of working with the engineers, is there anything that maybe consultants that are going into call it a product management role do better on just like right out of the gate, right? Like, Hey, like, don't, you know, don't do this or expect longer timelines. Like, you know, cause, cause like we come out of consulting, yeah. working with a team of insecure overachievers that just want to please us. Yeah. Right. And then, and then yeah. we get into the real world and realize it doesn't work like that. Yeah. Any specific or tactical advice? Yeah. Yeah. I think like definitely about engineers, but everybody in general, I think it's very important to understand their constraints and what they're doing. Right. You probably like remember, like you go to a case, especially when you're young and you tend to suddenly think, hey, I know everything. These people are doing ABCD wrong and they should be doing this better. Yeah. I don't know why they're not doing this better. Right. Yeah. You know, it's so simple. Yeah. Let me tell them. how. Let to me do tell it. them how to do this. Right. <laughs> so I would definitely say don't take that approach at all. Not anywhere, I would say, but definitely not in engineering. I think it's it's really, really important to understand that everybody is working really hard. Okay. Everybody's trying really hard and they have a ton of constraints. Uh, I mean, honestly, I also like felt that when I was, when I started doing it, right, we wanted to get estimates from engineers and they were a bit hesitant. It's a big topic, right? And some engineers never want to give time estimates. Some give stretched estimates. And, and you know, we used to be very annoyed that, you know, why are they not giving us estimates? Because we can't plan them. Mm-hmm. We can't plan for a product release if they can't. Um, but the problem is, it is incredibly hard for someone to give estimates when you just give them a problem statement or a one-page document. Yes. Right. If you give a one-page document to them saying that, hey, I want to charge extra from you know, patrons so that I can divert traffic, it can mean so many things. Yeah. So there was a lot of like back and forth at the time that, hey, you know, we only have this detail. You give us estimates. They were giving long estimates and ultimately the whole planning cycle was going long. And you have to like get into the deal. You have to have like very, you know, uh, non-judgmental and really like hard to hard conversations that why are they not giving those estimates? And they're not giving them because they don't get enough details and then they are held to like unrealistic timelines. Yeah, exactly. Right? And that doesn't help anybody. Yeah. So either you give more details or you, you know, just go with t-shirt size and, you know, operate in a world of ambiguity. And yeah. 
And so there are many, many nuances to, you know, product management, like all the way from prioritization, making sure your product gets built, uh, making sure you're working on the right products, making sure the engineers understand it, making sure you're giving them the right details. And, and I would highly encourage, like, for someone who is coming into this is to live the life of an engineer. And before sort of like, you know, jumping into and saying, hey, build me this. Yeah, no, that that is really good advice, Yak, because it definitely gives you an appreciation for the all the different nuances and permutations that yeah. can happen, right? Because there's there's all sorts of integrations and everything like that yeah. as you start to as you once you start to kind of like the build. And then but you actually started at Oyo as a as a in a chief of staff capacity, is that right? Yes, yes I did. Could you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah. So when I initially joined, I was uh, I've, I've only I've reported to the same manager, but my manager was the head of the United he uh, head of the U.S. business. He is the chief operating officer, and he was also leading the U.S. business. And uh, I was hired as like chief of staff slash you know VP of strategic projects. And I joined in December 2019, where you know we were initially you know trying to make sure that we build a profitable business. So I started working on a lot of like, you know, top line and bottom line initiatives to make sure that the business is healthy. And then March 2020 happened and the world turned around. So obviously, like we had to take some drastic actions to make sure, you know, uh, everything survived. And it was not pleasant, but, you know, it was needed to be done. Looking back as chief of staff, like some of the best things about a chief of staff role or what I ended up doing was like, you end up working on some of the most important problems, especially if you have the chief of staff of a very key executive, right? So every year I was given some of the most interesting problems. First was like just making sure the U.S. business and the company survive. Next year it was about standing up the product organization and building our IPO story, especially from a technology and product side. And this year it's more around growth. What's amazing about Chief of Staff role and or why like a lot of consultants might end up liking it is that it's a series of very, very important projects, which is sort of what consulting also does. Right. Sure. You are given some of the most important problems that a CXO may have, and you have to go solve them. Right? And it also helps that because you've done consulting and you've solved a ton of problems, you know you are good with ambiguity. You know how to you know structure them, how to you know work with the stakeholders. For example, one of the best skills in uh, required for chief of staff role is influencing without authority. And that is something which consultants you know do day in day out. We we don't. You know, we are not the boss of anybody in the company. We just have a mandate, but you learn to work with it. And and that is a skill that is really, really needed at Chief of Staff because you are not, you know, you, nobody in the company is reporting to you. Often you are an IC. Yeah. Sometimes you may have a small team. Yeah. And often you need inputs, right, from people who have no incentive yeah. to give you inputs, right? Exactly. And you can't keep saying that, hey, my boss is so-and-so, so you better do this. Like, that trick doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. You should definitely not do that. Uh, otherwise, yeah. you have a very small career as a chief of staff. Um, <laughs> it's pretty important to leverage your consulting skills of, you know, how do you talk to clients? How do you understand them? How do you influence them? How do you make them, you know, do a certain thing that they really don't want to do? Right? How do you communicate that? And, and again, it depends on the environment, right? You know, in COVID, a lot of people had to do things they never wanted to do. In a growth stage, it could be something else. And I think as a consultant, because you have done that in many, many places and with, you know, stakeholders of, across all levels, you get those uh, skills of taking on some of the most uh, important problems of an executive and, and, and you know, helping solve them. 
Some of the things that could be different is like typically as a consultant, you get a team and as chief of staff, sometimes you will have no team member. You have to do it all by yourself. Sometimes you might get like a few program managers to do it. So that's something that you have to learn that sometimes you have to be an IC and get things done. I think typically is a good entry point for some people in a company because it allows them to see things at a very high, you know, uh, at a very high level and understand, you know, what's going on. And then they can decide, okay, I want to go into product. So here's what I will do. Or, you know, I want to, you know, go into operations. I want to go into sales. And I think uh, if you succeed as a chief of staff, if you're able to demonstrate that you can bring around change successfully, you know, most of the people in the company would be happy to take you. Yeah, I think that's a great point, especially around seeing different parts of the business, because you can kind of get a sneak peek into what you find interesting or even the teams that you get a lot of energy working with and that sort of thing. Yeah. Okay, awesome. And obviously, you work now in hospitality technology. Prior to OYO, you you worked at Retail Me Not. Could you tell us a little bit about your experience there? Yeah. So I think Retail Me Not is one of those, you know, pure software businesses or pure, I would say, a tech company, which is a platform that is connecting brands to customers. So their key business model is they have tons of demand from customers who are looking to, you know, for deals. And on the other side, there are a ton of retailers who want to target these customers and, you know, use the deals as a way to drive sales. And ultimately, the platform matches them, helps the customer save money, and at the same time, helps the retailer by making the customer purchase at their side. It was also especially, you know, useful because it was used by a lot of brands that had never been online, right? It's so basically the Coles, Macy's. Now, obviously, they've been in the online business for a long time, but a lot of these brands were just learning how to run their online business. And Retail Me Not was a very effective way in which they could, you know, uh, direct their demand or, or get their demand from. So I, I had a wonderful experience. I think it was, it was a very well-run company. They were probably better than anybody in the business in search engine optimization. They were the gurus of, you know, Google, you know, whenever you search for a coupon, retail may not would come number one, which was very interesting. It uh, helped them operate their business at, you know, very high level of margins because, you know, if you run SEO really well, your cost of acquisition becomes really low (laughs) and therefore you're getting customers almost for free. And that's, that's, you know, a very, very healthy business to be in. I wish I could learn how to do that. (laughs) Yes, I agree. I I think, you know, people there could write a book about SEO, I think. So uh, when I joined them, I basically joined their business operations team Mm -hmm. and uh, I was, I was in charge of strategy. Uh, I was in charge of forecasting and annual operating plan building. A ton of FP&A activities, like uh, I used to basically run pricing for their products. Uh, I mean, I my, my team. Sure. We used to help build the sales compensation plan for the team. We used to also build the goals for the sales team. We used to help run parts of sales operations and then regular metrics reporting. So it was, uh, you know, a really good experience for me because I learned how, like I had a lot of fascination for platforms and, you know, and this really helped me understand how like, you know, two-sided marketplaces work and, you know, how, how, what are the different metrics to charge? How do they actually make money and things and then and things like that. Excellent. And that was your kind of first job directly out of consulting, right? Because you left BCG as a principal. Yes. Yes. It was my first job. So what was kind of like going through your head? You know, you're, you're a principal at a BCG and you kind of like, you know, you're going to take this leap. Um, I just know that a lot of our listeners kind of are are finding themselves in that kind of position. 
you know, walk us through, I guess, kind of how, how it all happened and, and your thought process. Yeah, I think somewhere on, you know, my career in consulting, I started thinking a lot about like, you know, where do I want my career to go for the next 10 years? And I didn't see that happening in the practice area that I was currently working in, right? And I always had a fascination for tech companies and, you know, marketplaces and platforms in general. So I started researching a lot about it. And, you know, and at some point, I think uh, in 2017, I thought it's the right time for me to you know, probably understand, experience how these marketplaces work, uh, understand how tech companies in general work and whether it's a good fit. To be honest, I, I started by my search by actually having a very big canvas. And I think one of the things that most consultants will see is that they have tons of opportunities once they decide to leave, right? It yeah. could be across industries. It could be across roles. It could be across stages of the company. And it isn't necessarily a bad thing to have. Like it's always good to have that choice. So I started with like a, you know, really, really big canvas, big Excel sheet with what I can do. Um, <laughs> you, you made a then, consulting project out of, I did, out of your search. I did. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> And then I was given this really good advice by one of the, uh, I think, people at BCG that, you know, talk to as many people. Uh, you know, I think it will just drive a lot of clarity. So I talked to tons of people still in consulting, outside of consulting, people who had made several career moves. And, and you know, I got a lot of good advice around why they made the change and whether that resonated. And ultimately, I think what I realized was that I wanted to be part of a sort of a medium-sized company where I can actually see a lot and have a much more powerful role and understand which parts of the, you know, which parts of, you know, a typical tech company do I like or not. And that's the opportunity that came with RMN. I had, you know, a very understanding and a very, very good manager who basically gave me, you know, a blank canvas and said, this is how we currently do things, but you know, you're welcome to change and, you know, modify this in any way you feel like. Uh, and also I think because the company you know, I think I had 600 or so people. It was very easy to know what is happening across all segments. Like sometimes, and again, people can have different choices. Some people might just immediately go to a big company knowing very clearly what they want to do. But to me, I wasn't still sure of which part of a tech company that I would really like. And and so I found this role to be, you know, uh, particularly interesting because it one allowed me to uh, use my consulting skills, right? FP&A is a typical place where, you know, most consultants succeed. And and the reason why they succeed a lot is they're able to bring finance and business both together, right? Sometimes finance teams, and again, it's changing, but sometimes they end up being too much about the numbers and less about the business. And consultants know in and out about the business. And I think and a good FP&A person combines both finance and numbers and business together so that, you know, they are actually looking at the numbers in the right way and helping drive the right, uh, you know, business outcomes. It's not just about reports. It's about delivering the right insight that will change the business. And, and therefore, like FPN is often a very, very good role for someone to step into. To me, it helped. I understood the business really in and out. I understood the PNL. I understood which parts of the business make money. It helped me make better operating plans. It helped me like, you know, build the right business strategies. And I always, being in consulting, I always had a soft corner for sales teams. So I was like sort of the, you know, business operations liaison for the sales team. So I could definitely like after selling a few cases, you realize how hard sales is. And so I definitely had a yeah. soft corner for them and therefore worked extensively on making sure, you know, they are set up for success. And so because the role had those dimensions as well, I found it super interesting and I thought I could add a lot of value. So that's how I, how I sort of made my decision. 
I appreciate you sharing that story because I think one of the things that you mentioned was talk to a lot of people, right? And uh, it's amazing because like as consultants, we often, I think, okay, you know, we'll do our research. We, 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 we look online, you know, we think we know a lot about a topic. And actually the, the reason I'm bringing it up is part of what you just said was the genesis for this, this show yeah. because there's nuances that you just don't kind of pick up on until you actually talk to people. Um, and it's, 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 it's not, it's not so easy either. Right. Yeah. But by doing it, I, I really think it's a, it's a, it's such a great way to do your diligence, right? Actually, speaking of diligence, right? I mean, that's how you perform a, a commercial due diligence, yeah. right? You you do your research, but you also have to talk to yeah. a lot of customers, yeah. right? And it's kind of the same. I've never actually made that connection until you just kind of uh, kind of you just told your story. So thank you. Yeah, yeah. I think it's just like learning never stops, right? It's it's very. You're right, and I would agree. Like like when I left consulting, I thought like I know everything. You know, <laughs> I've worked with Fortune 500 CXOs, but, you know, learning never stops. And you yeah. talk to, like, you talk to people in Facebook and you understand how that works. You talk to people in startups and understand how that works. You talk to people in non-tech companies. You And the great thing about consulting is you can be, if you leave consulting, you can join FPA, you can join finance, you can be product manager, you can do product marketing, you can do sales operations, you can do HR, if you like, like from a, you know, org role you can do sales yeah right you can do customer success right there is so much you can do right and so it's always good to talk to people who have done this understand also then talk to yourself and say that okay which part of my consulting cases i like the most you can do all of it but what did you like the most which industry did you like the most and then when you talk to people when you step back take notes i think it helps you eventually get to an answer and it could be ambiguous in the first month right in the first month you'll be like you know, what do I do? Everything looks cool. But I think after some conversations <laughs> yeah. in a month or so, you'll be realizing that, okay, this makes sense for me. I think that's right. And lastly, just before we wrap up, besides the Beyond Consulting podcast, uh, we just wanted to uh, see, Nishant, is, are, are there any, you know, blogs, books, or podcasts, or YouTube channels that you kind of follow or read or recommend to our guests uh, as, as they're kind of thinking about their journey and their career? Two books that, that I like a lot and that I would recommend. Um, the first is uh, Principles by Ray Dalio. Okay, I think, love that book. Yeah, yeah. It's it's. I think most people probably know about it, but I just found it fascinating. I think it one tells his whole life story, which is quite incredible to you know to read. But also the way some of the ways or the framework in which he has laid out on how to think about life and work is quite incredible, and it, most consultants would like it. But I think some of the things that stick still stick to me is like just embracing reality and dealing with it. I think it is a very, very interesting statement, which, you know, a lot of people often miss out or being radically open minded. Your mind thinks you're going here, but you're just being open and finding like three points of views for everything uh, and ultimately how to make better decisions. I think it's a fascinating book that I would recommend. The second. Um, so I was my dad studied psychology. I was always interested in psychology as a kid and and there's a book called uh, Influence by uh, Robert Cialdini. It's an amazing book which talks about how and why people make decisions they do, right? And it's it's a pretty eye-opening book. Uh, I think it's highly recommended to anybody in sales because it talks a lot about how sales, some of the best salespeople in the world are able to, you know, trick their, not necessarily able to convince their customers, but it's also pretty eye-opening yeah. to yourself and how, why you make certain decisions under certain conditions. And I found it fascinating. I wish I had read it while I was a consultant. I might have been even better with my clients, <laughs> but I'm very happy that I read it right now. 
Oh, awesome. I'm looking forward to reading that as well, because I've read the first one, but not the second one. So thanks for those suggestions. Well, very good. And then I guess, Nishant, if folks wanted to learn more about uh, Oyo or yourself, do you have any uh, links or um, information you'd like to share with our guests? Yeah, I mean, we just filed our prospectus for an IPO. It's it's a massive document. Congrats. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I can I can send the link for that and yeah. I can tell you which page is. But yeah, I think uh, there are a couple of websites and maybe I'll like send them over and you can include it in the link. Yeah, we'll drop them in the in the link for the description. Um, and then just for all of our uh, our first time listeners, make sure you hit subscribe uh, either on Apple, Amazon or Spotify just so you're notified of future episodes. If you want to see or hear past episodes, you can always check out our YouTube channel or beyondconsulting.info. And then lastly, if you want to get in touch with me or anybody else at ECA, it's going to be eca-partners.com. Nishant, thank you so much for joining. For everybody else, we will talk to you next week. 